0: Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's teaching podcast. We are in Prescott, Arizona. My name is Nate Huss, and I'm one of the team members here. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you could tune in. And yeah, if you'd like to connect with us or learn more, jump over to restorationaz.org. And uh, before we get going, I just want to encourage you will you take a moment and just pause really quick? Every week um, at the end of the teaching, we always participate in communion. And so I would love for you to go grab uh, a small glass of grape juice, or if you don't have grape juice, just a glass of juice. If you don't have that, if you just have water, that's okay. Um, It's all about remembrance. And so grab that, uh, a small little piece of bread or a cracker, something that you have and join us as we participate in communion at the end. And so we feel like there's no greater application at the end of listening to God's word than allowing the spirit to unify us through communion and remembering what Jesus has done for us. So take a moment, pause, go grab that. Now that you're back, will you please take a moment just to grab your Bible and we are going to dive in together.
1: You guys, if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Exodus and go to chapter 17, Exodus chapter 17, uh, second book in your Bible. If you're not real familiar, just go to the beginning and, uh, you'll find this book of Exodus. We just, uh, had the opportunity this summer to um, spend a little time studying kind of the character and nature of God and some quality and characteristics about him. But kind of as, as part of that, I found myself studying more about Moses. And um, as just a standalone for today, it's just really where the Lord led me in his word uh, to take a look at this passage. So Exodus chapter 17. What, what I've kind of discovered, and I'm wondering if you have too, is that my soul is incredibly thirsty or or needy. You know, our our bodies need things, um, but so do our hearts and our souls. And uh, you probably have a season where you're aware of just how thirsty or needy your soul is. Um, There's times where it's more thirsty or needy than others. Uh, but, but we all have those seasons. Uh, in a spiritual sense, all of us are wired to have this inner person, the inner us, our heart and our soul, uh, met, met with Jesus, that his spirit was meant to indwell us and fill us up to overflowing, and he and he alone can do something in our hearts and in our souls that no one or no thing else can do but our hearts and our souls are thirsty. What what complicates it as well is that not only are hearts and souls thirsty, but they're often open to attack. In the recovery community, maybe if you've been a part of that or you're familiar with it at all, they have an acronym HALT, H-A-L-T, that describe four... Positions in life, moments in life where we find ourselves more open to attack than others. Uh, In particularly, spiritually. Uh, H-A-L-T. Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. That, That when you and I find ourselves hungry, I mean physically, maybe our bodies aren't as healthy as maybe they should be. We we can be prone to uh, attack, uh, trying to fill up what our body seems to be lacking in other ways. Angry, you get angry, or you get lonely. Maybe you're finding yourself in a position where emotionally, your your self isn't functioning as it should, and you just don't want to feel angry or lonely anymore. So. We're open to the enemy to swoop in and take advantage of a moment where we're hungry, we're angry, we're lonely, or tired. Sometimes plain, old-fashioned exhaustion that's caused by overwork or a particularly draining season of some or another, relationally, circumstantially, vocationally that can lead to an opportunity where the enemy likes to pounce on that and attack us in a moment where we have been particularly drained. They've now added B to the end. Halt B. B is for boredom. And in a culture where we find, despite the amount of work that needs to be done and things to do, we have managed to find ourselves bored. Maybe not you, but other people. And when we're bored, it's just an opportunity for our hearts and our souls, to be open to attack. Spiritually speaking, I'd add two more to that list, maybe even biblically speaking. What we see an awful lot in our spiritual journey, you see in moments in Scripture, that we are open to attack in particular after a a special victory that God has performed in your life. You've just had a mountaintop experience what is often the case is then spiritual attack happens. The enemy swoops in because God has just taken some ground in your heart that the enemy doesn't care for and would very much like to take the ground that God just took. And so you might be open to attack after a particular victory. So be aware just when things are going good, spiritually speaking, or there's a major breakthrough. <laughs> watch out. Be on your guard. I can't tell you how many people I know who peculiarly right after their baptism, for example, or shortly after they just got rescued by Jesus, or there's a particular maybe sin that God's rescued and freed them from that's been there for a decade. We're real susceptible then to the enemy swooping in. Also, there can be a desert season. And I don't even want to begin to quantify maybe what have caused the desert season, and your desert season might be different than mine, but when you have been running on empty or at a lack for a long period of time, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, socially, you name it, then our hearts, our souls, are going to be prone to attack. The enemy will capitalize on those moments. You even look at the... the. Temptation of Jesus. You see how Satan swoops in to tempt Jesus at the end of fasting? When when he was probably not spiritually drained, but physically drained. So, I mean, we see this take place. And what what my tendency has been, maybe you can relate, when my soul's thirsty and empty, and, and then it becomes under attack, unfortunately, what the default for me is, is that I go to unhealthy people, places, or practices to fill up that particular lack that I'm sensing. Uh, because the unhealthy people, places, and practices are so easy to access, and they're familiar, and they're a quick fix. They, they make me not feel the way I'm feeling, and so that's a, a temptation. And in this passage in Exodus that we're going to look at, we, we see an awful lot of this going on amongst the people of God, the, the Israelites, and how they're responding to it. And in a challenging season with some legitimate issues, some legitimate lack, how did they respond? What, what did God do in their midst? Exodus chapter 17, if you take a look. Now, just for those of you just quick... The Israelites have been held captive as slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. God has used Moses to free God's people out of captivity. Just before this that we're going to read, he's just got them through the Red Sea, performed a miracle. He's got them through the Red Sea. They're on their way to the promised land, but they're not there yet. They've run out of water. It's funny, when you're in a desert, when you're wandering in the wilderness, there's not much water available. And the reality is, Moses is probably leading not just a handful of people, not even a couple of thousand. There's some estimates that he's leading maybe two million people through the desert. This is no small issue. And so water's a big deal, even if it was just you alone. But now to find water for that many people, it's a real issue. But they find some water, but it's foul, it's disgusting, it's bitter, and God has provided for them already by making that water drinkable. Then they get hungry, and God has already provided manna and quail from heaven. And then yet again, another need, legitimate, that they've got, Exodus chapter 17. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, which should have been their first clue you find yourself wandering through the wilderness of sin, run is my predominant recommendation, if that's the name of the place. They came to a place next uh, according to the Lord's command. And so, interestingly, the Lord's leading them through a place, uh, a season, a journey that isn't necessarily easy. They camped at Rephidim, But there was no water for the people to drink. So the people complained to Moses. Give us water to drink. See, there's a legitimate need, right? It's not that they don't have a need. You've got a whole bunch of people in the middle of the desert. Do they have a legitimate concern and a legitimate need? You bet they do. They need Water. They've got a legitimate need. However, the the way that they are responding in the midst of their need, that's what needs a little bit of work. They have a legitimate need of water, but their response is whining and complaining, blaming God and blaming Moses and doing nothing about it. A better way to handle the situation could have been something like, oh my goodness, we are out of water. It's a legitimate issue. Huh? God provided for us just a couple of days ago when we had the same situation. Maybe we should turn to him. Or, hey Moses, I don't know if you've noticed, but we're out of water again. There's a whole bunch of us. Maybe we could be a part of the solution to helping out. But instead, they do nothing, blame God, blame Moses, just whine and complain. Then look, Moses replied to them, why are you complaining to me? Why are you testing the Lord? You know, those are good questions. Those are good questions. Why why, why are you complaining to me? And why are you testing the Lord? I think in a, in a subtle way, maybe not so subtle, Moses was redirecting God's people back to their own relationship with the Lord. I want to get better at that, just in my relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. I'd love as a church if we get better at that because at some point you have been and you will be in a conversation with somebody else because you're thirsty, you're needy, you're lacking something, you're hurting, and our our normal tendency is to go to other people and whine and complain about it, or out of a legitimate need. It's not just whining and complaining. We are to be there for each other and mourn with those who mourn, and grieve with those who grieve, uh, pour out our hearts, but what often happens is we never turn the corner back to the Lord, we get the grumbling down, we get the complaining down, we get to pour out my heart to my brother and my sister, but I never take it to the Lord, and sometimes we, we can burden the people around us, and they were never meant to really be able to carry what we're, we can listen, we can help. I'm thankful for the people that are good at kind of redirecting me to the Lord, they're there to listen, they're there to help and encourage as they can, but who also keep pointing me back to the Lord for a while, I had an office that was close to another office where a professional Christian counselor did her work. And she was from the South and had this deep Mississippi Southern accent. And she was fiery, she she spoke the truth, she didn't care at all, she just give it to you straight. And I was taking a little break, I walked down the hallway, I walked into her office, (sighs) sat down. And immediately she goes, Pastor Ron, you sigh a lot. Sighing is a sign of resentment. What are you resentful of? Oh, my goodness. I'm mean, what? It's like four seconds I just sat down and sighed, and all of a sudden, I'm not resentful of anything at all. And then I went, wait a minute. I think I'm resentful of a whole bunch of stuff. I'm resentful of this, and I'm resentful of them. And she said, no, 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 Ron, Ron. You don't have a this or a them problem. You got a God problem. Ooh. She said, how's your relationship with Jesus? And it wasn't rocket science, but just to point me back to, okay, I might have got, like I'm prone to do, running on my own strength or even trying to rely too much on everybody else. And she was good at redirecting me just back to the Lord. I think Moses is kind of taking that opportunity there. Verse three, but the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? You know, here they are. They've just been rescued. They've just gone through the Red Sea. They've just had God give them water and food already. Aren't you blown away, not just for them, but for me and you, how quickly we forget the provision of God? How quickly we forget the deliverance of God? I mean, when he rescued me, when God saved me, that's been a long time ago now. And I almost take it for granted. And I just forget how what He delivered me from and, and what He's delivered me into, much less the countless things that He's provided over and over and over again for me that I just don't deserve. You stop and think about it. Think about all the things that God has provided. Yes, I know you could make a legitimate list of the junk and the hurts and the hardships and the trials. So could I. But stop and think about the grace that he's given. Stop and think about the breath that you're taking right now just because he's allowing it. Stop and think about that we get to live here and not blithe. You know? He's he's provided so much and he continues to bride and his heart is to breathe that provision. Now, it's not always the stuff that I want because sometimes I'd rather have a brand new Jeep Wrangler Rubicon than a breath. Oh, that's nice, Jesus. Thanks, because I take the breath for granted. But he provides. And God's people in this particular situation have already kind of forgot And there they've thirsted for water. They've got a legitimate need. But what also a reminder of is honestly this, the more empty we are, the more needy we are. I know that for me. The more that I have neglected my heart and my soul in spending time in the word with Jesus, in getting alone in prayer, in, in taking a walk or a bike ride in his creation and, and sabbathing intentionally as I ride, as I walk, as I pray, as I study, because I do have needs in my heart. Well, he wants to fill those. He wants to strengthen. He wants to encourage. But the more empty my heart and soul gets, then the more quickly I am to try to fill that hole, that need with unhealthy stuff. And he's going, gosh, I've got so much for you every single day. And the stuff that I've got you is way better than the stuff that you could reach out with the quick fix and the unhealth. Look at verse four, how Moses responds to their complaint. Verse four, Moses cried out to the Lord what should I do with these people? In a little while, they will stone me. He cries out to the Lord. And it's not that he didn't need to rely like on Aaron or Jethro, his father-in-law. God would use those guys big in Moses's life, actual people. But what Moses seemed to be good at was taking a real legitimate issue and going straight to the Lord. And I would argue, Moses had even more issues going on than just the people because the people, they're lost. They're wondering where we're going. They're hungry and they're thirsty. But Moses had the burden of leadership for these millions of people who were hungry and thirsty while he was hungry and thirsty himself. And in the midst of that, now they're out to get him. That's the last thing you need when you're running on empty yourself is other people upset at you. And yet what he does, what he models, at least a little bit for me here, is go straight to the Lord with it. When you're running on empty, I hope you go straight to the Lord with it. It's good to go to your brother and your sister, your family, friends, but make sure you're going to the Lord and going to the Lord quick with it. And what I love about Moses right here, he just goes honest with it. Hey, Lord, I know you would know what's up. I know you can see it. These people are ready to kill me. They don't like me. I don't know what you're up to, but I need help. If you're in that spot, maybe a particular desert season, this isn't rocket science, and it's not necessarily a quick fix, but I believe it's helpful. This this can be almost like water on a dry sponge. Go read a bunch of the psalms this week. Because the psalms are these songs, these prayers, and it's just an outpouring of real honesty you'll find in the psalms. Some more than others. Some are so honest. I mean, God... It seems like you like everybody else. You even like the people who don't like you. They seem to be doing great. I'm trying to follow you and my life's falling apart. What in the world is up with that? That's in the Psalms. If that's not an invitation for our honesty before the Lord, because like Landon said in our time of confession, he knows where we're at anyway. But then you'll find a turn in the Psalms too, where they turn back to God. They turn back to his character. A little bit of the eyes off of me, eyes off the circumstances, eyes off the problem and onto the source of one who gets it and can can speak into it. Then look at verse five through seven. Love it. The Lord answered Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And then he named the place Masa and Meribah, which is basically the equivalent of like testing and complaint. Because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, is the lord among us or not is the lord among us or not if if we just stop just to be super honest for a minute when we have a perceived lack or an actual lack in our lives it is typical for me and you to question the presence of god that seems to be the deal when we are lacking something that we think we need or we actually need, what is normal for me and you is, is Lord even here? We question his presence. Sometimes we even question his existence. But but we will probably most often question whether he cares or not. Oh, I know too much to doubt that you exist. I get that you're always there but if you really saw me, if you were really caring for me and compassionate for me, then you'd, wouldn't you be doing something for me? Now, when it's the most legitimate of needs, we know God is going to provide for us. You guys, if he provided his one and only son for me and you, which was our greatest need, don't you know he's going to provide for these tangible needs along the way. But there's also the idea, too, that, you know, lack isn't always bad. Sometimes, I mean, that to me is kind of the opposite, really, of the American dream. The American dream is really the opposite of any sort of lack. What what I've discovered for me is that I'm so buried in all my stuff and the American dream that somehow it, it quenches any sort of real need for Jesus or relationship with him. I'm seeking comfort and whatnot rather than him. And sometimes I hate it, I hate it, but sometimes it's in the seasons of lack that actually kind of drive me to him make me more aware of him, kind of realign or reprioritize what it is that I really do need. I got the list of the stuff I think I need, but sometimes what my soul really needs isn't on that list. But Jesus knows what my soul really needs. God's providing for me and you, often in the most mysterious of ways. He really is. He provides for God's people often when they're not even following him or thinking about him, he's still taking care of them. You realize how much God's taking care of human beings who aren't followers of his that sit under the common grace of God? Man. But our deepest need was Jesus. Your deepest need is him. And he... And an actual relationship with him is the only thing that is really core to what is going to satisfy your heart and your soul. And that's why I love the connecting point here. You don't have to turn there unless you want to, but it won't be on the screen. I'll just read it to you. But in John chapter seven, if you fast forward now all the way to the New Testament, all the way to the gospels, John chapter seven, Jesus now doing his earthly ministry And in this particular moment, Jesus' ministry, they're in the middle of a celebration, a a festival. Uh, The the Jewish people celebrated a ton of different things frequently throughout the year, over and over and over again, all tied to something important for them to celebrate and remember where God had delivered or God had provided. What they're in the middle of right now with Jesus in this moment is the, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And what that was a celebration of, a remembrance of, was when God provided for the Israelites in their wilderness season. And on the last and greatest day of this festival, they would celebrate the moment that God provided water from a rock, what we were just reading. And it's on that day of celebration, hundreds of years later, where Jesus gets up and says something interesting. Look at verse 37. On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, he should come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Man, I want that for me. I want that for you. And God wants that for you. His desire is that your heart and your soul would be filled up to overflowing. And if you keep reading, he's talking about the spirit of God that would dwell in followers of his. And how precious is that, that Jesus would connect dots to something that historically took place in the Exodus, but was also a picture of our journey and our wandering and the thirst and needy nature of our souls. And yet the answer is, Jesus, again, not rocket science, but when I think about how many times I go, how many times I go to all sorts of other remedies or quick fixes rather than Jesus. When my soul is thirsty, I mean, it's mind blowing to me. There's time in the word they can fill you up to overflowing. There's time in prayer where he can fill you up to overflowing There's time in his creation, he fills you up to overflowing. There's times in worship, like we just had, we were singing Amazing Grace and I could hear you singing and the Lord met me in that moment, it was filling my heart. And I'm worried that I'll forget about it tomorrow. But Amazing Grace is available for me tomorrow, not just at 1045 on Sunday. It's available to be poured into us as we're pouring ourselves out and as this broken down, jacked up world is sucking life out of us and our hearts and our souls at a rapid rate. But all the more that we need to be coming to Jesus, I mean, multiple times a day and spending time with letting him pour in and replenish, refresh what's just getting poured out of us faster than we can think about it. And I love how Exodus chapter 17 ends. You don't have to read it now, but you can read the rest of it this week. Most of you have heard about it. Right after God's provided water from a rock, the Israelites get ambushed by enemies. Remember, open to attack right after a particular victory of God. They get ambushed and Joshua gets sent off to battle these enemies. Meanwhile, Moses goes to a top of the hill with the staff of God to pray his people through battle. And he goes up to the top, and you know the story. As long as he keeps that staff above his head in a posture of prayer, they are winning the battle. But as he gets tired and cannot stand long enough or hold the bar above his head long enough, he gets weary, he drops it below then they begin to lose the battle. But thankfully on this particular day, Moses has two buddies, a guy named Aaron and a guy named Hur, H-U-R. And they go up with him. And they see him in the midst of the battle of struggle, even in prayer. And they know that there's a lot on the line. And they bring a rock up for him, first for him to be able to sit down And then they go one on the other side of him and they prop up his arms, each supporting his arm on the other side so that he can continue in prayer. And the Israelites win the battle in that posture as he's supported by his two friends. It's that reminder for me that I think Moses was one of those who was intentional about trying to pour into people, to fill people. And I think when you're a filler of people, an encourager of people, you're mindful of pouring into other people. If you're a filler of people, I believe you will have people fill you when you need it. Because Jesus is the primary source of life for me and you. Spiritually and otherwise. But then he's also going to use his people, brothers and sisters in Christ, to be a tangible touch or a tangible word, a tangible blessing to people around us. When they are weak, when they're lacking, when they're feeling thirsty or empty, God can use me and you to Speak a word of life to prop them up. Keep them encouraged. Keep them strengthened. We're just a vessel at that point through whom God begins to flood. And so I want to give us just one minute, just a, just a minute to be able to pray. Pray. Pray with the people that you came with. If you're next to someone who's alone, see that they're alone, they're front, behind, or whatever, and include them in to your duo or your trio or your little group, and then just pick one person to pray. I know this is awkward, but this is good. Just pick one person, and the one in your group, would you mind just praying for your group? Maybe pray a particular blessing from God would be on your spouse, your friend, that particular group. God knows what they each need. God knows if they're tapped out, thirsty, needy, and knows what they need. You don't need to know the details of that. But maybe just taking time, redirecting us to the Lord, and still knowing that we're his vessels. Spend just a minute or two praying for, one of you pray for the filling, the blessing, the provision, the deliverance of the people in your group, okay? Take a minute just to do that, and and we'll wrap that right up, okay? Go to prayer. so, Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are the source of our hope, certainly in our salvation, but even in our day-to-day, in this life and life eternal. Help us every single step in the way to trust you with what we're longing for and what we're desiring. Help us, Father, to trust you in moments of plenty and moments of want, pray for a special blessing of just contentment, regardless of our circumstances. Thank you that when we don't get what's going on, or even what you're up to, or where you're moving, that you're still gracious, you're still at work, you understand how difficult sometimes this journey of life can be and how draining it can be. That you're for us and you're with us. And so, Father, fill us up to overflowing and then use us however you see fit to be an encouragement and a blessing to the people that are around us. However you want to use us this week to maybe fill somebody up, prompt us to it, give us the right words at the right time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
2: Amen. We're going to continue to worship now by coming forward to take communion. And as I was listening to, to Ron today describe uh, this story, which is one of my favorites of, of Moses raising his arms and Having to have the help of of others, of those he's journeying with that are are following Yahweh God together to to hold up his arms, It, it got me thinking. That the, the scriptures are filled with all kinds of stories, especially the, the old testament, but new and old alike. And after the first gathering, my, my daughter Aaliyah came up and gave me this. She made it. I think it's like a, a little satchel holding rocks from, from the, the story of David and Goliath that they learned about today. And there's there's all these stories. And oftentimes what can happen is we get stuck on the story, on this thing that happens, this victory or outcome that God was a part of. And I think maybe in that process what can happen is that we lose sight of what actually was happening. God was giving of himself to his people. David and Goliath was not a story of David and Goliath. It was a story of God giving his presence to David and David's people. The the story of Moses with Aaron next to him and her and Joshua fighting a battle is not a story of a battle won or a battle lost. It's the story of God's presence being given to his people continually. You turn from page to page to page to page throughout the scriptures. And the story that is being told is the story of God giving of himself to his people. And then that culminates with Jesus on the cross. And we might, too, in that moment, get distracted by that story. And we have crosses hanging and stories of crosses, and that matters, and that's significant. Very much so. But not so if we lose sight of the person that was on the cross, and the person that went to the grave, and the person that rose from the grave. For what? Not just a transaction, not just a moment, not just a story, but to be with us. To give us His presence again and again and again. Because His presence is everything. So wherever you're at in the journey, Ron uh, explained or painted a picture of a lot of different places we could be, he wants to meet you right where you're at in this moment. So we invite you to continue to worship uh, this morning on either side of me. There are the elements for communion, whether you take that individually or maybe with the the people you came with or, or somebody that you prayed with, but know that he's continuing to give of himself and his presence to you. In communion, we are united with God himself to go out into the everyday stuff of life with him being for us. Let's continue to worship now in our response.
0: Thanks so much for listening. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. And again, my name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. So glad that you were able to join us. And uh, if this is your first time listening or you've been listening for a little while and um, are still doing the online thing, I just want to encourage you, go get plugged in. Um, Restoration may not be the church for you and that's okay, but I want to encourage you, go get plugged in with the local body. Is there a church in your area that you could trust and join and, and be a part of the body of Christ? There's something that is really valuable and important about journeying together with other people who are on the journey of practicing the way of Jesus. And so um, whatever that looks like, if Restoration is a a place that you could call home and you're in Prescott, Arizona or in one of the quad cities in the area, we would love for you to join us. If not, I just really wanna encourage you, um, go get plugged into a local body. It's really, really valuable. um, And I truly believe it is important for us on our journey of faith. And so um, again, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to restorationaz.org. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.